Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast, where we're starting a new series looking ahead to 2020. We're going to be covering the most important stories in esports, stuff like the relationship with the Olympics and the International Olympic Committee, Activision Blizzard's homestand weekend regionalization experiment, uh, the rapidly developing collegiate and high school scenes. But today on this very first episode, we're going to be talking about tech. We're going to be covering cloud-based gaming, mobile esports, artificial intelligence, and much, much more. And to join these issues, I'm joined by a... To talk about these issues, I'm joined by a bona fide expert. It's Bill Lavoir Berry, the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer of IBM Esports. Bill, thank you for joining the podcast. Hey, thank you to be here, Mitch. Thanks for the invite. I'm really excited to talk to you. You have a history in cloud gaming, specifically... Uh, you've worked with Watson, I know, about artificial intelligence. But first, let's dive into your background a little bit. How did you become the CTO of IBM Esports? <laughs> yeah, very, very good story. Interesting story. So um, I, I've been in the game space overall about 15 years. Uh, I'm hitting my uh, almost 10 years now with IBM in the game space itself. Uh, it, it was kind of a very unique accident how IBM found me. I was working on several studios as independent consultant back in the day. And IBM said, hey, can you come to our side of the house and help out? Because we, we've seen how successful your projects are. So we'd like to have you join us here at IBM. Um, and then back when I first joined IBM, uh, the, the I would say the former CTO uh, and still a dear friend of mine, George Delbier in the game space, uh, he, and, he and I found each other by accident pretty much. He said, holy cats, there's another IBMer that understands the world of games. <laughs> Can you, let's let's get this party started, so to speak. Um, so uh, George and I kind of split the world in half. I covered one half of the world. He covered the other half of the world uh, from the game world. And then I kind of naturally inherited uh, the esports part of that um, because apparently I had a good affiliation with the community. I connected very well with the esports community. I understood you know, the, the needs, both the business side as well as the technology side. And so uh, I've actually been doing esports a full nine years now uh, under the IBM logo, which has been pretty exciting, which actually surprises some people as well uh, in the game world, which is really cool to talk about. Yeah, I think it's something that IBM is so important on the back end of esports. So how do you explain exactly the role that IBM plays for developers, for tournament organizers, for all the different moving parts in the esports industry? What is IBM doing for them on a consistent basis? <laughs> good question, good question. So before I answer that question, let me paint a little picture, if you will. So when I look at the role of esports in the esport world, uh, number one, the esport world is a community, right? So it's an organic community. It started many, many years ago, uh, literally in people's garages and backyards before moving to land parties and moving up to the arena state. So when we're talking about the esport and the what goes on in the esport world, I kind of look at it as both looking at, at the fans and the audience and the engagement of that. I look at that as the, the teams and those that are playing the game and promoting the game and talking about the game. And then you also look at the, to your point, looking at the technology that's very critical to support the game world. So number one, we often think about latency, for example. We think about you know, making sure the game is up and running during the whole competition. You know, We think about how do we connect with the audience? We think about some of the ways that 
we can use AI and cognitive, which we can dive into deeper here to really understand what's going on within that esport community. So that's kind of at a high level picture of how we kind of approach esports, realizing that it, it is a true community. It's really important. Obviously, latency is one of the foremost issues for anybody. What's your ping being one of the most common questions you get when playing something online? Uh, and so I'm really excited to talk to you, especially as we enter an age of cloud-based gaming. Latency is the key concern for a lot of people as they look at things like Google Stadia, like the IBM Cloud, and playing games on these different cloud platforms. Do you think that's a legitimate concern for cloud-based gaming? How do you solve the latency issue? Or will cloud-based gaming actually uh, help reduce latency for most players? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a very valid question. So when we look at traditionally at some of the uh, comparisons between what I call enterprise business, which would be something like a bank or maybe a hospital or a healthcare or a retail pharmacy, for example, uh, versus the world of the games and esports. Uh, Realizing that the world of esports and games is a very uh, far-reaching, fast-moving uh, target, if you will, right? So I use the word target loosely here. But what we're looking at is when we're, when we're playing the game on the cloud, we have to be able to enable that both the player and the community needs to be three steps ahead of what's going to happen on the screen next. So when we look traditionally at the, the world of IBM, for example, the world of cloud and IBM, uh, you know, Tencent, you know, one of the largest game providers, one of the largest game organizers, Tencent, uh, for example, is a IBM partner as well as a user of our cloud. So when we look at things such as worldwide enterprise approach to common businesses like a bank or hospital or an airline, a lot of those same things also apply to the direct experience of a gamer, right? Being able to understand what's going to happen be able to understand, is my environment up? Is my environment uh, friendly? Is it healthy? Am I going to have latency issues? Uh, what is my response to high availability and disaster recovery? So as a gamer and as well as a uh, cloud architect geek as well, I have to understand those are some of the concerns that when we're talking about games and the world of cloud games, so whether you're looking at different types of providers that are putting that together, uh, it, it's key to make sure that you're using the most advanced technology, the most advanced cloud opportunity to be able to connect with that game and that game environment, as well as the community playing that game. So if you only had a couple minutes to talk to your average gamer and tell them, hey, this is why you should really give cloud-based gaming a chance. You have your status quo, you have uh, whatever console, PC, you play mobile games. Why should people be looking at cloud-based gaming and be like, I should definitely try that? What does it offer that people aren't getting right now? Well, one of the unique aspects that you can put into cloud-based gaming is uh, cognitive and AI, right? Mm -hmm. So cognitive and AI is very cool in the sense that it can connect with the actual player. It can connect with the community. And what I mean by connecting is that understanding what the player in the community is doing during the gameplay. For example, what's something very cool and very salient that's happening right now in the gameplay? How do we tell the story better for the gamers? How about for the first time esport viewer, the first time esport player, or someone that wants to get engaged in a new game, right? So for example, if I use the example of a, a new game like Rocket League, for example, how does the Rocket League community 
now engage more fans, more viewership, and more understanding of the game. Or maybe some people that are new to like Overwatch, right? A lot of people that are now watching Overwatch may not understand the rules, may not understand how to play it, uh, may not understand, but what you wanna do is help them tell the story. And by using cloud-based gaming, that enables you to be one step closer to the audience, uh, one step closer to your uh, providers, one step closer to those that are part of the game world, because that enables you to connect, be able to enable you to play with the game and help that understand who you are as a player and help you understand who you are as a fan. I would happily watch an Overwatch stream that went at about half the speed and had somebody <laughs> taking me through baby steps. I've played the game plenty, but when I watch Overwatch esports, the the lights and the different everything that's happening at one moment, uh, I struggle to to keep up with it. So I can only imagine I'm an esports reporter who's played Overwatch probably, you know, 50 to 100 hours in my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm still a little bit lost when I watch the game. So I, I worry uh, when I see that appear on ABC, it's going to be important to have anybody to have any idea what's going on in the game. <laughs> We're going to need to be able to explain this. We want esports uh, to push its way into the mainstream, which is a trend that I think 2020 is. Uh, maybe that's one of the other trends I cover uh, in this podcast series because we really are moving esports to linear television in a lot more consistent fashion and that also means changing how they're broadcast and making sure it's not just i think if uh esports broadcast in the past you could just assume the people watching it had played hundreds of hours of the game that was the core consumer and <laughs> we're trying to move into a different era a little bit so it's really interesting to see how that can change broadcasts Yes, yes, because, you know, to your point, right? So, for example, if I'm a newer viewer into Overwatch or maybe a newer viewer into a uh, more historical game like StarCraft II, for example, mm -hmm. uh, StarCraft II is another complex game to understand and watch. So what you want to do to help the community and help the shoutcasters and help the analysts, you know, do the play-by-play, -play, to do the story, the cloud is very uh, key for that because you can enable them to tap into the streams, to tap into the broadcast, to tap into what's going on, to help them, uh, in a sense, do data mining on that cognitive data that's rich as part of the esport and, and the game platform on the cloud. So, for example, let's let's say we want to help, you know, like Laser or Rotterdam tell a better story for StarCraft II, right? So we can bring in the storyline, we can bring in historicals, and provide some real time you know, feedback for newer audiences, you know, help them uh, elaborate and tell a more colorful story using cognitive and AI on the cloud. And those are all very key, rich environments, which the, the gamers and, and new folks that get into the game world would really understand. Yeah, I always know when I'm talking to an esports OG because they always direct the conversation back to StarCraft. It's, <laughs> it's the common thread because that was the dominant game for so many people uh, in the 2000, in the 2000 to 2010 range, StarCraft was leading the way. And so I always know when I'm talking to somebody who's a veteran of the industry because somehow StarCraft always gets brought up. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a great point. I don't really have a ton of knowledge about how StarCraft works, and I would happily jump into that game more if I knew a little bit more about it. So I know you're using IBM Watson. It's one of the most comprehensive artificial intelligence uh, platforms? How, how would you describe? Is that a, is it an artificial intelligence platform? Is it just 
IBM Watson as is AI? I'm I'm not exactly sure <laughs> yeah. how to describe that. Yeah, good uh, good good question. So 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 think of this. So you and I are having a discussion right now, right? So here we are talking back and forth, and what's going on is that we're having a a cognitive interchange. We're talking, we're discussing. I can understand you might be doing some slang or some slack terms or uh, maybe throw some jokes off the cuff. Uh, that's very similar because what Watson also does is understand the sentiment of you and I as a human. Uh, understand, you know, if we're talking slang, are we talking smack talk? Are we talking something relevant to what goes on in the gameplay? So it's both a combination of both AI and cognitive understanding. So in, in many cases, think about sending Watson to game school. So today, Watson's going to sign up. He's going to go to StarCraft II school, learn about what happens in StarCraft II, understands what people talk about in the chat rooms, understand what's very salient to, to a gamer to understand, right? So we'll, we'll send Watson to StarCraft II school. We'll send Watson to Rocket League school, you know, whatever the game of choice is to really understand that. So it's looking at both what I'll call the, the the technical nuances that go on in the gameplay, as well as looking at what's very key or pertinent or salient to the game community at the same time. So it brings both AI and cognitive together in a very powerful fashion. It's incredibly interesting and just a little bit scary. Um, <laughs> so take me through how this works in practice. You're a shoutcaster, you're on the desk, and you're using IBM Watson to help you do your job better. They're they're directing you, hey, you need to pay attention to this engagement. Hey, this old just finished. This is going to be something's going to happen right here. Is that basically how it's working for a shoutcaster? Or just take me through what they're seeing on a desk and how it's improving broadcasts. Yeah, good. I love to talk about this. So so traditionally, you know, shoutcasters and broadcasters and analysts have to really depend on what's going on in the gameplay, right, to tell the story. So, for example, we've been talking about Rocket League. We've been talking about Overwatch as some good examples. So if the shoutcaster is doing the play-by-play, -play, what they're usually doing is relying on their history of the players. They're relying on their history of what goes on in the game. They may rely on maybe there's some storyline not necessarily related to the game, but maybe to the player a bit. So what we're doing is we're helping the shoutcaster and analyst you know, bring in both real-time gameplay as part of the, the real-time game that's playing right there and then, as well as we can uh, weave in, if you will, uh, historical aspects and provide some suggestive commentary to the shoutcaster and analysts as they're doing the play-by-play. -play. So, for example, a lot of new people now are now watching the newer games. A lot of people are now watching you know, Overwatch for the first time. They may be watching Rocket League for the first time, or they may be watching some old-school you know, like StarCraft II or maybe some World of Warcraft, for example. So now that you have a lot of new viewers, you have a lot of different takes of how can we tell the story? So what we're doing is we're, we're enabling Watson Cognitive AI to help them engage with the community. We're helping them tell a better story. We're, we're providing them tidbits that they will. So for example, they may have an iPad on their desk. Uh, they may have something that flashes up on their screen next to the teleprompter that can help them tell a story. And what it is, it's offering them some suggestive activity. So Watson's not saying, tell this sentence. What Watson would do is say, hey, based on this player's uh, approach or this player's uh, skill set, uh, you may want to talk about this, or you may want to talk about this story. So we'll give them several options to choose from real time live that the shoutcaster analyst 
can pick and choose and say, hey, I want to tell this story about Scarlet from StarCraft II, for example. Or I may want to pick up this story here from Yellowstar you know, on a League of Legends game. Or I may want to pick up this aspect over here on this new Rocket League product. So it's enabling them to help uh, provide color, uh, enable them to tell stories better to newer audiences, and help them give some good suggestions. Because as, as you've seen, these shoutcasters, they got to talk pretty dang fast. <laughs> That's really cool and an important product. I feel like it makes a, a shoutcaster would welcome that. I'm just picturing, keep bringing up Rocket League RLCS championships last weekend. Listeners to this podcast know how much I absolutely adore Rocket League as an esport. Uh, so we'll we'll run with that comparison. Uh, say somebody had a pinch goal with the Batmobile. The Watson would be like, hey, the Batmobile was introduced on July 17th, 2017 or yep. something like that. Like it would just pop up. Something like that? Is that sort of the... Yeah, essentially, yes. Yep. So, for example, it, it may provide a little historical interlude of what uh, maybe a Scarlet does during a certain map, right? So a certain map appears on StarCraft Two, and you know, Scarlet traditionally has done X, Y, and Z in the gameplay, as, in addition to something may change, right? So what, what the cognitive AI is looking for different objects or patterns in the gameplay maybe looking for speech patterns or communication from the audience or different things to help wrap that together, to have the analysts or shoutcasts provide a, a better experience in their world. That's super interesting. Would it take past gameplay, say a big moment happened in season one OWL finals, and then a similar situation arises, maybe it's the same old taking down uh, something similar. Would it be like, hey, this happened? It's almost like having a... a Tony Romo, if you use an NFL comparison, <laughs> yeah. somebody who's just been there and has this wealth of knowledge about the game in their head that can just bring this and be like, hey, it's, this is your color commentator, I guess, in a lot of ways. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly, right, right. So that, that you hit on the head, right? Because, you know, as they're telling a the story, they may want to have something very colorful about a past gameplay or something that's happening on the screen where the AI recognizes, hmm, I see a trend here. Uh, you may want to talk about this. This is going to happen. Or maybe they're using their, their their diamonds or their purchases incorrectly, or maybe they're not using them enough. Uh, you know, for example, when I'm watching League of Legends oh. myself, I'm sometimes questioning how come the team members there they have all this loot that they purchase, they're not using it at the right time. You just get mad as a viewer, it's like, go use your loot, dude. <laughs> yeah, when people aren't using the economy correctly in CSGO, it's like, wait, what's going on? Sometimes they're thinking on a completely different plane than I am, but I always enjoy when casters are not afraid to be critical. I think a lot of people when they're starting out in casting, they don't want to second guess the the professional's decisions, but ultimately that's that's your job. So it does help to have those stats behind it, the artificial intelligence being like, hey, this is not optimal. I I don't know what they're doing, but we could tell based on past gameplay, this strategy usually doesn't work. And so I think that helps shoutcasters to be a little more critical when they need to be uh, of different players, different player choices, which is really important to a broadcast, but something we don't see a ton in esports. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then as we also talk about broadcast, one of the thoughts I have too is that, you know, in addition to doing this is that what we're doing is bringing in all the additional stories uh, from the community as well. So I often think about esports kind of as a two-way street if you think about it, right? So you got the, the streams and broadcasts going on that push out to the audience, but then you have all that healthy chatter coming back, right? So if I'm in a big arena, maybe I'm at a at an ESL tournament or a DreamHack tournament, 
uh, I could be watching something, for example, in Denver, but on my iPad or on my video monitor, I could be watching something in Cologne, Germany at the same time, which may impact the team on the stage. So I'm interested in that. So in that case, I may be using cognitive and AI to help me say, hey, pay attention to this right now. What's going on over here right now? Kind of a, a silent tap on your shoulder, if you will, from a cognitive AI aspect. So for example, if I'm following a, a favorite team that may have different teams around the world, something may be going on, not only on the stage I'm viewing, but also something's gonna jigger my iPad or my cell phone to say, hey, you gotta pay attention to this right now. Or maybe there's something in the environment at DreamHack or ESL that says, you need to go to stage number five over here, dude, right now. <laughs> so all, all of your peers move along with you. Like a herd of cattle is like, we want to watch this game over here because we just got a ping that something very salient or cool is happening. So I want to move to stage number three over here. That was one of the really interesting things coming from the traditional sports world. I moved, made the move from traditional sports to esports pretty early on. And going to some of the esports events where there were multiple competitions happening at once. In traditional sports, besides the occasional tennis tournament or golf, I guess, you'd have one game to focus on. And so it was really interesting being like, oh, I have to now be in control of what's going on on this screen, what's going on on this screen, what are the storylines. Uh, and so I definitely think there's a great ways that technology could help direct people, hey, this is where you need to go. This is what you need to pay attention to especially in the wider world of esports, not just in-game events, but hey, this this thing's happening right now in the Capcom Cup. Like there's a there's a once in a lifetime yeah. experience happening over here or in an esport you're not watching. Uh, there was a massive upset in the international, even though you're not a Dota 2 fan. Hey, you might want to check this out. And then it'd be cool to be able to bring people in and make esports fans uh, less focused on just one title, which I feel like very... Most esports fans are very focused on one, two, three titles, uh, but allowing people to actually, hey, check this out. Well, welcome to this scene. This scene is cool, and it has uh, it has room for you as well. So I, I'm just thinking about a lot of different applications of this technology that could be used to help grow esports in general. Yeah, big time, big time. Because I think when you look at that, right, that's that's a good example of you know how organically the community can grow using different technologies or or, or not really. Uh, using them, but understanding that the per that the the main driver behind esports is the community aspect of that. So uh, that that's a big component when I'm looking at different applications or different technologies. One of the things I do not forget is that esports is a community-driven world, right? So I, as a as a you know folk from IBM, like I'm not doing top-down technology for you. What I'm doing is helping you respond to that esport world, helping you respond to your fans and your peers, helping you to maybe train your team better in certain aspects, uh, using the cloud and cognitive to do that. But in the, in the back of my head, always remembering that uh, esports is a, a, a community world and we want to pay attention to that as well. So fitting into this theme of futurism, we're looking ahead to 2020. We're looking at technology. What are some things uh, either in the works or just way out in the future that IBM Watson can't do right now, but you would you hope to be able to develop or improve the technology to get to a point where it can do something new. What are some things that immediately come to your mind when you think about future applications of this technology? 
Ah, good question, good question. So one of the things that's up and coming on my radar, of course, is uh, mobile esports. Because uh, mobile esports, as we've seen by looking at the numbers and the growth of that, it's just not a fad anymore, right, in the world of esports. So mobile esports is making some great plays. Uh, some of the major providers are seeing that the, you know, significant impact on the ROI around mobile esports and games. So one of the things that I want to do uh, deeper using cognitive AI is, you know, either respond to the audience, respond to the fans, or maybe have the actual players engage uh, in the gameplay, you know, maybe using some cognitive conversation or maybe having them react to the gameplay as part of using Watson and AI to do that. That'd be really cool on a mobile stage or mobile gameplay because as, as you play a, a mobile eSport game, your your fingers get sweaty, right, <laughs> on the screen. And that doesn't just happen to me. I'm glad that's not just a me problem. <laughs> right, right. So, so when we're thinking about that is – is your fingers getting sweaty? Is that actually reducing your speed of the game? Are there other ways that we can help enable you to play that mobile uh, eSport game better? Is you know a cognitive conversation with the gameplay something that we want to look into? Maybe that's something we want to think about for the eSports community um, or other aspects of that. Also, I think about that too. We had an earlier talk about latency and cloud. Let's also look at maybe 5G technology as a way to bring that that, that data and that cognitive experience closer to the player, you know, closer to the stadium, closer to the arena or on-premise in the arena and as part of the experience because 5G would really enhance that game delivery, you know, based on the game delivery, based on the game application layer. Um, having 5G be a really significant part of that would also enable some deeper experiences for cognitive and AI as well. Yeah, I have to imagine that. I mean, I've never, I haven't actually been able to attend a mobile esport only event. A mobile es, I, I've been to a different massive things like BlizzCon where mobile events are part of it, but I haven't been able to attend that. And one of the coolest things about it is that they actually have the console. You can't bring an Xbox to to an event. You can't bring a PC to an event. Right. But everybody in the stadium has the console for the mobile esport. I'm not sure exactly what you can do with that, but you have to imagine there's so many interesting applications that that unlocks that previously wouldn't have been possible in in-person esports events. Yeah, yeah. So I went to my first uh, mobile esport event. I was I went down to a, a, a Guns of Boom tournament down in Arlington, Texas. And the, the whole event was all mobile esports. That's all it was. And it was just amazing the, the dedication of these team players to really practice their skill on the uh, iPad or their mobile phone. So strictly when you're playing the game, it's on the phone, right? <laughs> and so if we're looking at different technologies to enable a better experience for the team player, uh, to enable a better experience, how can we show something better to the audience also in the arena uh, using cognitive broadcasting to do that as well so they can really connect with what's going on as part of the mobile game experience? Because if you think about it, traditionally right now, when I go to a mobile uh, eSport event, you only have one or two views of that type of play going on. But maybe I want to use cognitive and AI to almost be a conductor, if you will, or an orchestrator so I can have a, a different view of the gameplay. Maybe a gameplay view that's based on who I am as a fan, or maybe based on the, the community in the arena at that time. They want to see this or that type of view based on that. So there's different kinds of ways that we can maybe 
show some different views, show some different aspects to the audience, uh, have the audience engage deeper into the gameplay without, you know, in, in a sense, interfering with the gameplay, but use that as a really big storytelling aspect to bring the audience together, you know, closer to the gameplay. Yeah, I'm really curious to to dive into more of that. And I'm you're such a you're you're well versed in technology and all its different forms. And I'm curious what changed in mobile technology over the last few years. I mean, if I think back to what the biggest games were on mobile phones in 2014, it was things like Candy Crush and Angry Birds, these absurdly simple but addicting games. And now we have Fortnite. We have a battle royale, which was already the most server demanding uh, eSport ever created, loading in a hundred different people on one map. Yeah, and now it's already moving to mobile phones. So, what changed in mobile phone technology that has allowed these different eSports to really become uh, top tier eSports resembling PC games? It felt like just a few years ago this would never have been possible, and now here we are in an age where mobile eSports is the next big thing. Yeah. So when we think about that, let's let's even go a little bit deeper than actually just the mobile. Uh, product itself. So when I'm watching a, a mobile game or maybe even a PC-based game or some type of a structured game online, one of the things that we want to go maybe back a few steps, if you will, is take a look at the technology of how that game is being de developed and produced and put on the cloud. So right now, some of the things that are really enhancing the ability of the mobile game and other game experiences is not only technologies like 5G, but also our advances in hybrid cloud and open source, as well as the Red Hat a native economy to be able to deliver that game. So for example, we talk about Rocket League, uh, we talk about Fortnite, right? So when some of those games were developed, I, trust me, the publishers had no clue they're gonna be that big, right? <laughs> so like, holy cats, now I have to deliver a game to millions of users that I did not have a thought that they were gonna be playing the game. <laughs> so now we wanna look at better ways to actually develop and produce that game to, to scale the game out you know, more economically. So we're using things such as hybrid cloud models, we're using open source technology, we're using you know, things you hear in the technology landscape like uh, Kubernetes and containers to be able to enable that game to scale rapidly. Um, so in several of the, the large use cases I've worked on to architect a solution, for a, a game that's been growing too fast, which is a good problem to have, right? It's like, oh, cats, my game is too too big. <laughs> so when we're using some of those technologies to actually do that, that enables uh, the, the publisher to have confidence that if my game, and when it does, when my, day, when my game does get too big, I'm enabling my viewership and my players to keep on playing because things that we talked about, such as the cloud and open source, and containerization of the gameplay, we were, we're enabling ourselves to scale that game out in a more uh, automated fashion so that the, the players themselves don't have those struggles, you know, with latency or, or waiting for a server or waiting for a, a new data center to pop up somewhere. Because those are some of the ways that we can deliver that better experience, not only to include the 5G experience on the edge of the cloud, but also delivering the product within the studio out to the audience. You're telling me that Psionics didn't know super acrobatic rocket powered battle cars was <laughs> going to become one of the biggest esports in the world? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Or, or think about think about Fortnite. So let me let me tell this story. Real, this is kind of a fun. Oh yeah, story. please. So 
Um, you know, as you know, I do a lot of uh, worldwide uh, travel as related to the game and esports world. On, on a recent trip, I was in uh, in Belgrade, Serbia, uh, because there's a lot of game work going out there. There's a lot of high tech and blockchain and esports type development in that neck of the woods. And in the airport, I ran into a gentleman that had an an epic game jacket on. I didn't know who the person was, so we started talking, you know, kind of bantering back and forth about games, asking him what he likes. He's like, he let me know that he's one of the senior directors that works for uh, the Fortnite uh, artist division, you know, production division that does the Fortnite art. And he was very blunt. He said, we had no idea that Fortnite was going to be this big. <laughs> and we, we, we got caught a bit <laughs> because we didn't expect it to be this big. So it would we, have been foolish <laughs> to predict it to be this big. I mean, that was a pivot <laughs> off their original title. And you don't get to just pivot into something and be like, yeah, this will be the biggest game in the world and the cultural phenomenon. You can't predict that. It's not a, it's not yeah. possible. <laughs> yep. And who would predict that playing soccer with cars, with race cars would be so hot, right? Who would have predict that like even three years ago? Yeah, that game is is so incredible because it doesn't change. That's what Rocket League is different than every other esport in the world, except maybe CSGO, I suppose. Uh, in that the game is still almost the exact same as it was in season one with a couple changes to car hitboxes, but generally the same. And the the skill ceiling has just been raised just because it started so high and they were just like, hey, when you start this game, it's going to be really hard to do anything good. <laughs> and now we have pros doing things nobody ever could have dreamed of. And that's all it, it was just the way they built the game. It didn't take new champions. It didn't take a constantly updating meta. It was just people getting better and better over time and pushing uh, further and further to the point where they're literally on the ceiling. There is no more ceiling. <laughs> the, what should have been a cap, they're coming off of it and flipping down. So it's... Uh... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, uh, I really love it because Rocket League really, really, really challenges me even to the, today, because the, the different ways that that game was produced with the different physics involved and the different skill set, you know, you need patience with that game. Uh, you need to have a understanding of different, maybe some different laws of physics every now and then might be helpful. <laughs> so some different ways to keep you challenged. That, that game keeps me challenged every day. <laughs> it's a constant grind and it really feels, while some of the team play can be horribly toxic and in, in ranked queue, it's uh, at each level, there's very rewarding things that you are able to do as you slowly progress and you're like, oh, I just hit a boomer off the wall or that was just a really nice clear or a great save or my fast aerial is getting better. Rocket League just has these diff little steps of progression of different skills you learn, which is why it's so similar and so transitional to traditional sports, because you could feel yourself slowly learning small things through repetition where in other esports it's a lot of timing it's a lot of strategy it's a lot of mental game rocket league really feels uh more like a traditional sport than even the sports simulation games do yeah yeah good example i like that example so i wanted to loop back into mobile esports really quickly and i'm curious your thoughts on this we've talked about the technology that makes them possible we've talked about some of the cool ways that broadcast can be integrated what is the mobile esport that's going to break through and become that undisputed 
tier one game. I think there's a couple that are close. You mentioned Guns of Boom. I think Clash Royale is right around there. PUBG Mobile in India is like a huge, huge phenomenon. Which mobile game do you think really breaks through and becomes that uh, undisputed tier one esport? And does it happen in 2020? Mm, that's a good question. That's a good question. So um, let me see if I can get my uh, my wizard ball out here and think about this <laughs> as, we, as we look at it. So, you know, some of the some of the things when we talk about that also go back to our original conversation around how engaging is it with the audience? How much are you involved as a fan or a viewer? Does the, does the game speak to me, right? Can help me tell a story as part of that. So when we're looking at these games, my, my glass ball would say that if we're looking at one of these, we want to make take a look at one that say, what is the community talking about? What are people chatting about? What's the, the sentiment coming from that game community versus this game community? So if we have our arms around that, I think that's going to kind of give us a guide to say, here's the next big mobile esport game based on what the community is talking about, you know, what the players are engaged with uh, when you're talking about something. Uh, because when we take a look at all these aspects, I think that's going to be our, our radar, if you will, uh, to the next big you know, mobile esport game. I think that's going to be our guide because that'll help us actually tell that story about what's going to be the next big one. Because as you know, we esport fans we're very fickle, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. We love Fortnite's a dead game, haven't you heard? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a year ago today, it was the on top of the world, undisputed largest game in the world, and now it's completely dead. So if you <laughs> if you listen to Twitter comments, which you should not, or Reddit or redditors, don't listen to redditors. Don't please. I learned that lesson the hard way. I was like, oh. <laughs> gotta gotta get away from the Reddit hive mind sometimes because they are not they don't always know what they're talking about. So you're you're um, saying that how many you're saying that instead of uh sixty six million people playing a day, only forty million are playing a day. So the game is dead now. <laughs> yeah, because it's not on every single main talk show and their people at their high school have abandoned it and so they're it's a dead game. No one's playing it anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's coming back down to earth. Uh, a game that is continuing to grow, which is incredible, is League of Legends. I yeah. they reported this is totally unrelated to our technology conversation, but they reported world's viewership stats today. Yet again, higher twenty times, twenty times as many viewers uh, for the League of Legends World Finals as the Overwatch Finals. That's absurdity, and I, I don't want to get too in the nitty gritty of what that means for the Overwatch League, but. Wow, League of Legends is the the model for how to build an esport. It seems like. Did you happen to see the numbers? What? How close are they to Dota two? That's a great question. On well, I don't know if Valve is reporting because they're moving to this AMA, this Nielsen Average Minute Audience metric, yes, yeah. and uh, it takes a partnership with Nielsen to report the data, as far as I I know. But I. Can look. I just saw all the comps to uh, Overwatch League today, but I can try and pull up some some data because it'd be interesting to see how they compare. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. Just curious. Excellent. Great. So uh, we're gonna wrap up here pretty soon, but I want to talk to you. I'm asking every single one of our guests, what are the most important trends? Uh, for esports in 2020, could be could be tech based, like what we talked about here, or anything else. What do you think is the most important thing people should be paying attention to in esports in the next year? 
Mm, excellent. I, this, this question is very interesting because I, I'm, I'm going to start with a different angle, which may be uh, non-traditional to what people may be thinking about, is that one of the big trends I see in esports is actually tying in esports uh, to major cities and to major economic centers as an actual growth model, for example. So you, you may have seen the news that many cities and, and states are now saying, hey, we're now recognizing esports. It's more than a game to us, right? It's more than a game because when it comes to uh, technology, when it comes to training, when it comes to high schools and universities, uh, we see the direct dotted line between esports and our city. We see the dotted line between esports and employment for uh, youth and new graduates in our city because as more and more of these uh, cities are expanding and growing their esports base and communities, now that becomes important because you're saying, hey, now that I, as a game player, I have a, a chance to actually be part of that esports story right here in my community. You know, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's Kansas City, whether it's Salt Lake City. So some of these uh, non-traditional cities, because sometimes we, we think about esports in North America, we're thinking about Las Vegas, we're thinking about Los Angeles, maybe Boston area. But now we're looking at these other cities like Tampa Bay, we're looking at Kansas City, uh, we're looking at Atlanta, Georgia, where a lot of the, it's more than just a game, right? So I think that's one of the big things I see growing as part of the eSport world is tying technology and STEM and, and cloud and gaming all together uh, for impact for education as well as bringing the community together in those aspects. That's, that's one area I see that maybe folks don't think about. Uh, the other area I see that's going to be a big growth for 2020 is enhancing and growing new ways to engage with that eSport community. So, for example, you and I talked about like a lot of people now that are watching esports, you know, may not play the game. They may not understand the rules of Overwatch or may not understand the rules of Rocket League or even some of the, the old school games like StarCraft 2. So how do we understand? How do we connect with my viewers? How do I bring new fans in? Because many new fans that are watching it uh, like to be told that story. So I see that's another uh, growth opportunity for esports and is engaging more and more with my community of esports. So those are kind of my, my two top ones I see is probably as a big growth area for 2020. Yeah, notes on both of those. Uh, we've seen some of the economic impacts of hosting esports events. I, I saw numbers out of Raleigh for the Rainbow Six major, which you know, Rainbow Six, while a growing esport is not a huge one, but they saw an economic impact of 1.6 million uh, for Raleigh for a weekend event and uh, LCS, the Detroit LCS finals, oh, yes, uh, so, five million. Yes, five million. Five million, and that's pretty. That's pretty impressive. Like a city's going to see those numbers and be like, okay, we can. We want to do this, and we've seen some cities around the globe. Uh, I always butcher this. Katowice, yes. Poland, in Poland. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Okay. You're close. You're I, close. I said it. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's K A T O W I C E. It's something. It's a relatively small town in Poland. Not a, it's not a town. It's it's a city, but it's not one of the the European central hubs. But they're the host of IEM uh, Katowice every single year. I'm just going to butcher. I'm just going to commit to it. Uh, and they they double they went down on esports really early like 2012, 2013 range. And it's paid off in spades. Now they're one of the most traveled to countries for esports events every single year. And it it's, makes sense for a lot of cities to see that and be like, 
okay. Like you mentioned, going to Arlington, the eSports Stadium Arlington. There's eSports Stadium Vegas. There's one more eSports Stadium, maybe Los Angeles. I think that would probably make sense. Uh, but you're seeing these different cities be like, hey, actually, we should welcome in esports. We should welcome in this changing of the guard. Uh, and cities like Raleigh, uh, with Epic Games located nearby, are poised to become much more important cities in the esports world than they were in the traditional sports world in years past. Yeah, yeah. That, that's very key because, you know, city leaders are seeing not only the economic impact, but they're also seeing the educational impact uh, of the game in the world community of games and gamers and esports. Now, many uh, many country leaders in uh, areas like the the Middle East, uh, Central Europe, are seeing, hey, let's let's use games as a base to help train my youth. Let's take all the youth and help them achieve different things in cloud and technology and STEM skills, and using that game world as a base to do that because it's a it's a very natural tie-in. A lot of times, uh, youngsters are now educating their parents. On what goes on in the world of games. So that's a great way to bring families together is to help each other chat and talk about what I'm doing in the game world. Let's build something cool. Because you think about it, like 90% of developers are gamers in some fashion. And we like to create, break, and try something, try something new and push it out and try different things. So uh, we're, we're not akin to failure, but also we're akin to success when we like to push that envelope quite a bit. Yeah, there's, there's so many cool things that come out of gaming and different uh, career paths. So if you think about, you know, we always push kids to play sports and sports teach you plenty of lessons, but ultimately playing a sport is not going to be a career path. Uh, whereas if kids playing a Fortnite, they're learning a lot of creativity through the creative mode or Minecraft. That's architecture. That's design. That's art in a lot of ways. Uh, there, I was in the Fortnite community writing for a Fortnite website and some of the kids who would leak things. I call them kids because they're 13, 14, 15 years old, <laughs> diving through the source files using programs. I have no idea how they work. <laughs> and they're, they're 3D modeling things that Epic wants hidden in the, in the back source files. And so it's like, that's awesome to me. Like that, those kids that are doing that right now are almost certainly going to end up coding or something in CS. And so it, it shows that, hey, these games have a lot of depth to them. They have a lot of cool things you can do uh, with technology, where the world is going. So I agree, tying them into STEM programs, getting more kids interested in STEM through video games uh, is another really awesome partnership. And just empowering kids through esports and and giving them community ways to experience these events is all kids are going to game. They're always going to be. And if you want them to get out of their, their room, hope, uh, work on community events mm -hmm. have them go play with friends and teams at local theaters at local events on their high school team and that's uh that's not it, it, gaming doesn't have to be an isolating experience although i would say it isn't already uh but it's perceived as one by quite a few people but i think with uh community outreach like you talk about we're gonna see it transform the world of gaming into something really awesome i agree i agree yep that's a great story I love to tell the story about how STEM and P-Tech and, and different types of education you know, tie in very you know, clean, cleanly with the world of games, which is very cool. 
Yeah, me too. And I, it's crazy to see how attitudes have changed towards esports. So I, uh, I went to the University of Oregon, and while I was there, I was knocking on every administrator's door, like, "Hey, esports? Like, you guys interested in doing something here?" And they're like, "Nah, we don't violent." I'm like, "No, not not particularly." And they're like, "Well, no, nah, no." And now I'm gonna go talk at a business of esports summit. And that was three years ago. I was knocking on these same administrators' doors, and now. Uh, it's it's undeniable the change in attitudes towards gaming in the world, and so, so it's a really awesome. Time yeah, to so be it, it sounds like when you're at the University of Oregon, you're you were literally literally a wild duck up there. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was in the sports broadcasting department. And I, I was like, you guys aren't interested in this esports thing. This seems like a really natural crossover for all the things like nah what video games i'm like okay you guys all go into high school football i will be <laughs> going into this new thing <laughs> am i am i a little uh salty maybe a little not not salty i'm, I'm happy now as i watch them go cover minor league baseball teams i'm like yeah <laughs> i'll talk to the the leaders in the esports world so it's uh a nice point of contention with a lot of my my college friends but they still think the video games are weird and i'm like all right They'll be as weird as as long as I want because it's my industry now. <laughs> Great story. I enjoy that. <laughs> Thank you. So we're going to wrap up this podcast. I've got a lot more trends to look forward to. But for this one, this was Bill Lavorberry, the Chief Technology Officer of IBM Esports. Bill, what is IBM doing in 2020? What's your biggest thing? Give us one last, uh, one last little tidbit off I, IBM's plans for the next year to end on here. Oh, wow. So the, the, the big one is going to be really, really connecting uh, with the eSport community. That's going to be a, a big goal of mine is helping you know, the publishers and the teams and the fans really understand each other, help each other tell a story, uh, tell some very unique story ship and broadcast and viewership and as part of the gameplay and, and really taking some uh, really changes to non-traditional or traditional OTT business models as part of the esport market. So that's that's one of my big goals for 2020. I love it. Mobile gaming, cloud gaming, IBM Watson, artificial intelligence, all different things that IBM is doing to help improve the esports world.